Okay, so tonight, here's the deal. It's nice to see you guys, by the way. I think I know everybody in the room. If I've not met you, my name's Dan. I'm just the one that gets to talk the most in the room and get to be called pastor, okay? It's nice to see you guys. Listen, um, I'm tired. If I can just be honest, I'm exhausted tonight because of what God's laid on my heart. I am absolutely worn out gonna try to figure out what to talk to you guys about tonight. But I wanna tell you guys one thing too, okay? Thank you. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of all the leaders, thank you for trusting us enough to come in here on a Wednesday night. Because I know you guys are busy and you got a thousand other things you could be doing, but you guys make God a priority and you choose to make God a priority here. And for that, I am very grateful because I absolutely have the best job on the planet because I get to hang out with you guys on a Wednesday night and Sundays and during the week. And I get to try to tell you how much God loves you. And for me, I am, I don't think I'll ever be able to repay the Lord for just giving me the opportunity to do this because I can tell you that I sure don't deserve it. Where's Catherine at? There you go, those are yours. Thanks, yep. Um, so thank you for coming in here. But the, every week, and I'm not exaggerating, and I want you guys to hear me on this, okay? How I, the dynamic of this, okay? Every week when I come in here on a Wednesday night, <clears throat> I have to make a choice, and I'm dead serious on this. I make a choice every Wednesday night to not quit this job. Because every Wednesday night, I feel like an absolute failure every time I leave this room. But, and I want you to hear me on this, because this is for free tonight, but this is a lesson for you guys, and I'll touch on it later on in the message again probably too. But every time I feel like a failure, you know what I know? I got confidence in my heart that I'm doing what God wants me to do in here. And therefore, I find my confidence. So if I go around whining because I feel like I failed, hear me, athletes? If I go around whining because I feel like I failed, but I've asked God to help me, if I prayed before a game or I prayed before a youth group or I prayed before a test or whatever that is, and I say, Lord, I need your help. And I get done and I feel as though I've failed. If I stay there, is that honoring the one who I asked for help from? It's not, is it? You gotta make a choice each and every day, each and every moment sometimes that we're gonna trust God. So when I'm walking across the parking lot every Wednesday night when my pickup isn't under attack anymore, when I'm walking across the parking lot every Wednesday, you know what I do? I choose to listen to God. I choose to praise God in the midst of what I'm feeling because I know he helped me, because he was faithful to help me, because I did what I needed to on the front end, I worked hard to do what I was doing, and then on the back end, what I do is I thank God because I really do believe no matter how I feel, God was with me. And in that, I find my victory. In that, I find my peace. In that, I find my joy. Does that make sense to you guys? But tonight, tonight of all nights, I'm doing this, I've talked to junior high and high school students for almost 21 years, and tonight I get to be a failure. I am absolutely going to fail at what I'm gonna do for just a moment tonight, do you know that? Because tonight for the first time I get to try to explain to you guys the doctrine of the Trinity. There have been theologians throughout the centuries, early church fathers that have done their best to try to take this idea of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity and explain it to someone and they failed miserably every single time. So we're gonna talk about that tonight. So tonight I will actually be a failure, and I'm pretty proud of it, to be honest with you, because I'm attempting to do something that Tertullian is a guy's name, Irenaeus, Clements, these guys that were early church fathers, they couldn't even come up with a way to do this. So tonight we're gonna talk about the Trinity, but what I wanna do first is have the right uh, bulletin. I got a question I want you guys to answer real quick at your tables. If you had to go away for a long time, if you had to go away for a long time, what would you leave your best friend to remember you by? If you had to go away for a long, long time, what would you leave your best friend 
to remember you by. Talk about that and we'll come back up in a minute. Okay, I need your attention back to the front of the room. I didn't give you guys very much time tonight. I apologize for that, but I want to, I want to uh, bring your attention back to the front of the room. Corey, would you bring up my, oh, well, you don't have my slides, do you? Okay, no worries. Um, so here's the deal. What I want to talk about tonight, if you look on your bulletin on the right-hand side of the page or on the front page, on the very front page down at the bottom of that, can I see a bulletin because I don't have that on mine? I got this written down because I think this is true. The doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery revealed by God to us in his word, okay? So here's what I want to stay with this idea of proof tonight for just a second, okay? One more night of this and then we'll move on next week into some other stuff that won't be quite as deep. And I was talking to my wife about this last night. I am, I am very, I got a full heart tonight apparently for some reason, but listen to me, you guys, look at me, look at me, look at me. Do you know how grateful I am that I've got a youth group that I can talk to about deeper things in scripture and not just the fluff and the stuff of the Bible? I like the fact that I can challenge you guys and you'll put up with me and you'll allow me to stay in here and talk to you guys about stuff like how do we know Jesus is God and how do we know that God loves us and all these different things. And tonight we're gonna talk about the Trinity. This is something that is very, very hard to get your arms around. So tonight I'm gonna do it a little bit different. I'll start on the front end and give you guys some stuff to think about on the back end and hopefully it will help you. But the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery revealed to us by God in his word. So see, it's in the word. The word Trinity is never found in the Bible. But there's proof of the Trinity throughout the Bible. Muslims don't believe in the Trinity. They think it's false. Matter of fact, I learned this week in studying that one of the greatest sins as a Muslim is to believe in the Trinity. That's why Islam hates Christianity so bad, because we believe in the Trinity. They think it's three, we, we worship three different gods, which is not true, and I'll get into that tonight a little bit. Mormons, they believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, are three different gods. The Holy Spirit, according to the Mormon religion, is actually more of a fluid so again, what we're gonna talk about with Christianity, Jewish people absolutely deny the Trinity because they don't see Jesus as the Messiah. They see him as a teacher and that is it. So Christianity stands alone again on this idea of the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity. And here's what I want you, if you don't get anything else tonight, listen to me. Here's what I want you to know. We may not understand the Trinity, but we serve a God that does. And he made it very clear in scripture, you guys. So my goal tonight is for you not to be able to walk out of here and explain the Trinity. That's not what my goal is. My goal tonight is to show you guys proof in scripture that the Trinity, according to the Bible, exists even if we don't understand it, God does. Go read Isaiah 55, chapters, or verses six through eight, I think, eight and nine. It says, my ways are higher than your ways, God says. You will not understand what I tell you sometimes. And you know what? Here's what I know. Ask yourself this question real quick. Are you okay with not knowing everything and understanding everything about God? Are you okay with that? See, I think that, I find joy in that because I don't want to serve a God that I fully understand. There's going to be things in the Bible, you guys, that we will never explain on the side of heaven. But we can trust who gave the Bible to us, and we can trust the one who does know everything. So people come and ask me sometimes, they said, what, do you know anything about this? I said, no, but I know the one who does. And it's God, and that's where I want to prove to you guys tonight what this Trinity is. The Trinity has been described by using an egg as time, at times. They say the shell, the yolk, and the white. That's three things, and it's an egg. But the only problem with that analogy is, is this. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one God. That you can't separate them. An egg, once I crack that egg and the yolk comes out and the white comes out, it's three different parts. 
So that even fails. I've used the analogy of myself going, I'm Dan, but I'm a husband, and I'm a father, and I'm a son. I'm three different things in my life. That even falls short. So here's what I'm going to give you guys, and then I'm going to dig into the meat of what I want to talk about. As I studied this, and as I really dug into this, the best, probably the best way to maybe summarize this idea of the Trinity, and the Trinity is this, one God, three persons. One God, in that God, there is the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay, now watch this. I think a good way to look at this may be being, okay? I'm a human being. That's what I am. But who I am is Dan. God is a being. That's what he is. But who he is is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So God's a being, that's what he is, but he's a who also, and he's got three parts to who he is. Those parts, all one God, and I know it's hard to understand, but I'm gonna show you guys tonight, I wanna give you a couple proofs real quick in scripture where we see the Trinity, this idea of the Trinity. Again, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. People will pitch a big fit over that, but here's the deal. Do you realize the term the second coming of Christ is not in the Bible either? You guys realize that second coming is not in the Bible. Is Jesus gonna come again? Yeah. Are we okay with that? Yes. So we gotta be okay with the idea of the word not being in there, but the concept of this is in there. Does that make sense to you guys? In John or Matthew chapter three, verse 16 and 17, this is where John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Now watch this. As soon as Jesus, God the Son, was baptized, he went up out of the water. At, the moment, at that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. That's the Holy Spirit of God descending. So you see God the Son and God the Holy Spirit here. And then a voice from heaven said, this is my what? My Son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. So the voice from heaven is God the Father. God the Son is Jesus Christ who was baptized. And God the Holy Spirit is the dove descending on him. That's the representation of the Holy Spirit. So there you see what? Three things. The Trinity, that's where this word comes from. Another one is Matthew 28, 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them. And this is the last command Jesus gives his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is a being, that's what he is, his personality, who he is, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The last one I would give you guys is this, John 14, 6, ask, ask and Jesus says this to his disciples, ask, and I, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, the helper, and he will be with you forever. So he will ask the Father who's asking him, Jesus, God the Son. And that's where you see this idea of the Trinity. It's scattered throughout scripture, you guys. You see it in the beginning. In the beginning in, in Genesis 1-2, when the Spirit of God hovered over the water. That's the Holy Spirit of God. The same Spirit that dwells in us was in the beginning in the creation experience. So as we look at all these different things, in Deuteronomy 4-6, or Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Now one, that one means this. A lot of people are gonna say there's contradiction in the Bible. 
that could be a contradiction or seeming contradiction, but that word one has plurality to it when you look at the Hebrew language. It never has a singular moment to it. It's a plurality word, although in the English language we call it one. But if you go back in the old language, in the Hebrew language, that is a plural word, meaning many. In the, in the beginning when it says, for God, so, uh, God in uh, Genesis 1.26, he made them male and female. In his own image, he created them, right? Elohim is what the word used there for God, is Elohim. Elohim is a masculine, plural word. So that's where you get the three people, even in the creation experience. Got you totally confused yet? See what I mean? I'm a failure, ain't I? Because you're all going, uh, okay, let's go back to the egg. Because the egg, we can get our arms around. But the egg, we can separate. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together, and they're not separate. They're all three persons in one God. So don't you ever let anyone tell you that you serve a three-headed monster, a three-headed God. It's not true. God is what he is. Who he is in his personality is a person's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how you break that down, okay? So what I wanna do tonight, in the next 10 minutes, I'm gonna break down the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I thought the best way I could maybe help you guys get your arms around looking at each role or the attributes of each one of the persons of the Godhead, okay? So what I wanna talk about tonight, first and foremost, is each person of the Trinity plays a specific role in a believer's life. They're co-equal, they're co-eternal, they are all divine, they are all God, one essence. But the first one is God the Father. In the Old Testament, it's really cool when you look at this, because in the Old Testament, God the Father was more of a corporate God. It would be like, I'm all of your father. So God was the father of the nation of Israel, okay? He fathered over them. The book of Ezekiel is really interesting because all the way throughout the Old Testament, what you see is the Israelites responding to God as a nation, like all of you at one time. The book of Ezekiel does something really in, in interesting because Ezekiel starts to break it down and makes your relationship with God very personal. It's not a nation. We're Christians, but each one of your relationships now, Ezekiel points to, becomes very personal. In the New Testament, Jesus transitions this from being a corporate father idea, the, corp the father of Israel, to where he says he starts referring to uh, God the Father as his, as his father because Jesus is the son. So Jesus is referring to God as a father. Watch this because this is really intriguing. Also in the New Testament, what Jesus does is he invites all of us to join in this relationship with the Father. It's not a corporate thing anymore. It's not just the Son of God and the Son of, and, and the Father God. It's us having a relationship with God. And Jesus makes it very clear in this in the Lord's Prayer. How does it begin? What's he say? Our Father. Our Father. Not just everyone's father, individually, he becomes my father. He invites us in to a personal relationship with the father. When I was a, when I was a kid, my dad, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, I didn't like my dad, I hated him with a passion. <clears throat> Told me he loved me one time and I didn't believe him. What's God do? God doesn't just tell us he loves us, you guys. God the father didn't just say I love you, he sent his son to show you his love, to demonstrate his love to you in Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that he sent his only son, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So God doesn't just tell you he loves you. Jesus doesn't just make this comment that, hey, come have a relationship with this Father in heaven. He's showing you how to do this. And the interesting thing is, too, the Father sent the Son, and the only way to get back to the Father is through the Son. That's the dynamic of the Trinity that we start to work with and that we start to see. And then also, Paul writes in Romans 8, 15, and the Spirit, again, the Holy Spirit, you received, brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship, and, we, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, listen, you guys, is a very, very intimate word. It literally means daddy. When Clint Haskins' little girl, Dubby, goes and sits on daddy's lap, she doesn't look at him as a father. She has an intimate relationship with her daddy, does she not? You're the same way with your little ones. When your little kids come to you, Peyton, and they sit on your lap and they go, Daddy, you're there for them. It's an intimate relationship. You guys, because of what Christ has done for us, we have an opportunity to have an intimate relationship with God the Father that no one in history has had the opportunity to have B.C. Christ, before Christ. So this is a very unique thing we have. So when you're, when you're having trouble, I always, you guys, if you've, Spend time talking to me at any time individually or having coffee. I tell you, go sit on your dad's lap. Go sit on your dad's lap and talk to him. But think about this now. If you're in sin and you're being disobedient, just bring it home. If your dad tells you to do something at your house and you don't do it and you're in trouble, the last person you want to see is your dad. The last person you want to go sit on the lap of is dad. You will avoid dad like a plague, won't you? And that's how, as Christians, when we get into sin, we don't want to go sit on dad's lap because we've sinned and we've done something to offend our father. The thing you need to do more than ever is go sit on dad's lap. If you've screwed up and you've fallen into sin, you ask God to forgive you and you go sit on your father's lap, you go sit on Abba Father on daddy's lap and you have a conversation with him and you tell him, I'm sorry I broke your heart, I'm sorry I sinned against you, please forgive me, and you keep walking with him that way. Does that make sense to you guys? So when you don't feel like you wanna go see God and you don't wanna sit on daddy's lap, there's something going on that you need to pay attention to in your life. Salvation is based on the father's love as well as the son's sacrifice. So that's the role God the Father has played in our lives. Now we're gonna look at the son, God the son, the sacrifice. In Matthew three seventeen, as we read earlier, Jesus is called God's son by who? Yeah, by God the Father. God the Father, when he says, this is my son who I am well pleased, God the Father is speaking to God the Son in that scenario. And then the, Spirit of, the, the Holy Spirit lands upon him also. We see the role of Jesus as the son in John 5, 19 through 27. So there's your homework. I want everybody to highlight that and circle it, please. Here's your homework for the night. John chapter five, verse 19 through 27. I didn't have time to get into it tonight, but I would love for all of you to go read that, and that part of scripture because that's gonna give you a detailed role on what Jesus says. I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do and all the different things that Christ speaks of it within those verses, okay? So go read that. The son, listen, the son sent the father and the only way to the son or to the father is through the son. John 14, chapter six. Here's what you gotta understand too, you guys. To fully know God the father, you have to have a relationship with God the son. If you've not been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not gonna fully know the father in heaven because it's just the only access we have to him is through Christ. Here's the deal. This is where it gets a little confusing, but it's such an interesting thing. And this is your second part of your homework. 
The Son is not inferior to the Father. They are all equal and all eternal. But Jesus submitted himself willfully to the Father's will. If you read Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8, you'll see in there that Jesus submits himself to the Father. He's equal, co-equal, co-eternal, but he chose to submit himself to the Father. Here's what I would ask you. If you think you're all that in a bag of chips, have you submitted yourself to Christ yet? As you sit in your chair tonight, where are you in submission to the Lord? Because Jesus sets that example for us. He didn't have to. He, he found it um, beneficial to set aside his, his, his divine power. Through his obedience, through the obedience of the Son, Jesus, Jesus purchased our salvation by his blood. That's how we get to know him. We have a, we have a relationship with the Son because we believe that that shed blood on the cross is where I find the forgiveness of my sin. So he purchased our salvation by his blood. Now he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. Now watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 say this. You have been bought with a high price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Are you? Honor God with your bodies because now we become the temple of the Holy Spirit that we'll talk about in a minute. So all of this laid out, okay? And I'll kind of summarize this in just a couple minutes. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he did not leave us as orphans. This is one of my favorite parts of being a Christian. And I, I believe with all my heart, people miss this. He says in the, in the book of John, if you love me, keep my commands. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the world cannot accept him because they neither see him nor know him, but you know him, catch this now, for he lives with you and will be in you. It hadn't happened yet. The upper room, the holy, the, when the Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, but he will be in you. That is one of the things I love about God the most is he fulfilled his promise that when Jesus died and ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit of God was sent back to earth in his form. God himself and the Holy Spirit moved into my heart and now I've got everything I need for righteousness and holy living. There's no reason you can't be a Christian. There's no reason you have to sin. You have God's spirit that dwells in your heart, you guys. There's nothing you can't do as believers. God will never call you to live in a way that he won't help you. But we've got to allow him to help us. That brings us to the third thing quickly, the God the Holy Spirit. This is last but not least. God the Holy Spirit, listen. Ooh, man, I'm going to get... Okay, long time ago, I knew a young man who was a youth pastor, and he referred to it this way. The Holy Spirit is too legit to quit. It's so amazing. It's incredible. It will help you. It will do this, and it will do... The Holy Spirit of God is not an it. It's a person. It's a he. The Holy Spirit of God that dwells within your heart is the third person of the Godhead. He is not an it. You know how I can, I can prove that. You ready? You want me to prove that he's not an it? Go read Acts chapter 5 with Sapphira and, and uh, Anna, I think it's Ananias is the other person, where they lied. They were before the disciples. They lied. And Peter asked them, why, are you, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit of God? Can you lie to an it? I'm at, can you? 
Can you lie to it? No, you can't lie to it. The Bible also tells us, Paul says, do not what? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Can I grieve in it? No, again, there's proof that shows the Holy Spirit is not a fluid. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person who dwells in my heart that I talk with every day, that I communicate with every day, that guides me and leads me through life. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He's not an it, he is a person. And like I said, you can't lie or grieve an it. The Holy Spirit of God is the executor of the Godhead, the theologians say. It means this, through him, all that God does in the world is done through the Holy Spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit of God is God in action. So if you ever wonder how God gets his work done on this side of heaven, it's through the Holy Spirit of God. Here's a few attributes of the Holy Spirit, and I'll get done here in just a minute. The Holy Spirit of God is this. He's the spirit of truth. He's our helper. He dwells in me. He's my advocate. He stands up for me, defends me. He teaches me of all the things that Jesus, he reminds me of all the things that Jesus has taught me. He dwells in me, and he intercedes for me when I pray. The Holy Spirit of God is one of the most critical things, and here's why I think a lot of people the Holy Spirit of God is one, it, it, there's been books written about him called The Forgotten God. And here's why I think people don't pay a whole lot of attention to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to do what? Point me back to Jesus. That's what he does. That's why Jesus is such a dynamic part of the Trinity, is the Holy Spirit points me to Jesus, and Jesus does what? Points me to the Father. And they work in concert together. That's how all this works together for good as you see this. At the bottom of your page, how does it all work together? In your, for our salvation, the Father planned it, the Son purchased it, and the Spirit preserved it. And as the, Son, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus, Jesus points to the Father. And also the one thing that I'll close with and we'll go to small groups. The Holy Spirit of God um, is called the witness of the Spirit. I promise you, God promises you that if you're off track with God, the Holy Spirit of God's gonna let you know. And it's up to us to adjust course. And it's like I always tell you guys, if you're not bringing glory to God and God is convicting you, who convicts you is the Spirit of God. That's who's convicting you. So you respond and you go, Father, forgive me. So the Holy, we need the Holy Spirit of God. We draw power from him. And he is alive and well in our hearts as Christians. Turn your tables, answer some of the questions, and we'll come up here and close in just a few minutes. Okay, we gotta wrap this thing up, you guys. So everybody back to the front of the room. Okay, I'm gonna see if I can close this thing off with something that might make some sense that you guys can leave with for just a second, okay? Remember when I said earlier that no, there's no way to separate the Trinity, right? Remember when I said that? I want you guys to catch this picture. In the Bible, come Easter time, when Jesus Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's been arrested, he, or before he's arrested, he goes into the garden and he asks Peter, James, and John, would you pray with me an hour, right? And you guys know the story. It says Jesus had so much anxiety and so much stress, it, the gospels say he was sweating what was like drops of blood. And he says, Father, if this cup can pass before me, let it be so. But not my will, but your will be done. You guys all know that story for the most part, right? That's the Easter story. And Jesus, I think, he says, if this cup can pass before me, and we've talked about this before, that that cup in the book of Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 23, I think, it talks about the cup of God's wrath that was meant for mankind. So God the Father has wrath that was meant for me, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes and he drinks that cup on my behalf. When I accept him as my Lord and Savior and I confess my sins, 
Jesus takes the cup of God's wrath that was meant for me and he drinks that himself. And he takes that sin, my sin, we sang it earlier, he took the sin of the world upon himself, okay? But watch this, I think there's something else other than Jesus knowing what he was gonna go through, being beaten, arrested, beaten, scourged, hung on a cross and dying for our sins, right? I think there's something else in there. For the very first time in eternity, it says, remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he makes the comment, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember that comment that he makes in scripture? What that is all about, you guys, is for the very first time, God the Father, Scripture makes it very clear, God cannot look upon sin. He's holy and he cannot and will not look upon sin. So when Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, the sin of the world was put upon Jesus. The sinless one had the sin of the world poured upon him on my behalf when I confess him as my savior. And for the very first time, theologians would say this, and I've studied this, so I know it's accurate. We don't know how long, but for the very first time, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, for the very first time, there was a fracture in the Trinity. Because God the Father, when the sin of the world came upon Jesus Christ, God the Father had to turn away from his son. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want this to land on you guys because I really want you to understand this about the Trinity. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, when we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Scripture makes it very clear that the Son of God gave his life, sacrificed his life for me, and shed his blood for me that I could be forgiven of my sin. And the Holy Spirit of God is the one that comforts me, counsels me, helps me to live out this Christian life that I've been called to live. God would never tell you to do anything that he won't help you with. But I wanted to land on you guys tonight how much God loves you and the extent that he went to to give you an opportunity to be redeemed back into a relationship with him. He loves you so much that they, they fractured the Trinity, the Godhead fractured because of you. Because of you and because of me. That's how much God loves you. So now what are you gonna do about it? How are you gonna live your life? See, when we, when we learn these things about the Bible, they're so deep, but they're so simple in themselves that God loved me that much and I'm gonna reject that? Or God loved me that much and I'm gonna choose sin over my Savior? That helps us live out a Christian life that will bring glory to God in all that we do. Does that make sense to you guys? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good and I am so grateful that we have an opportunity, Lord. This is so hard and so deep and such a heavy load to try to bear, this idea of the doctrine of the Trinity. But you've laid it out plain in scripture and the proof is there. Help us to find confidence in you. Maybe not fully understanding any of this tonight, but knowing you and knowing that we can trust that your word is true, it's accurate, and it's beneficial for us. But Lord, I pray that you help us, Father, to know um, the extent, how much you love us and the extent that you went through by sending your son to die on a cross for us to shed his blood for us that we could be forgiven of our sin. And then three days later, your spirit raised Jesus from the grave. And because of that, we can look forward to the resurrection, Lord, because of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and this dynamic, how you planted it, and how, you, how Jesus paid the price for it, and how the Holy Spirit helps preserve it in our hearts and help us to live this life out. But man, Lord, it's an empty tomb. That same spirit that rose our Savior from the grave dwells in us. Help us to remember that. 
Help us to know that there's nothing that we can't do for your glory, by your grace, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Have a good night, everyone. We will see you next week.